Welcome to the Winner Circle with Derek Pang. On this podcast, I'll be introducing you to real-world heroes who have stepped outside their safe, known worlds to pursue and live their win, their best lives. This is a choice we all get to make. The intention behind these conversations is to inspire you to move forward with greater faith, trust, and belief in yourself on your hero's journey ahead. Let's go, hero. All right, we are live, and I have a very special guest with me today, all the way in Bali. So on today's episode, I interview an internationally renowned Bali-based yoga teacher. He's a father. He's a husband. He's the founder of Blissology, a movement connecting yoga, nature, and community into transformable experiences that uplift the heart. He's also the creator of the recently launched Blissology On Demand an online yoga and meditation platform. Welcome to the Winner Circle, Ian Finn. Thanks, Eric. So honored to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to connect with you. And that's the beauty of technology. We're discussing this um, before we went on air, uh, how it's so great we could connect with friends and connections all around the world. I've been taking yoga classes with Ryan Lear. I just took a class with him and he says, hello. Awesome. He says how amazing you are, and um, he looks forward to this conversation we're going to have, as do I. Well, the feeling's mutual, so it's good good vibes just going upwards. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, there's a, we also talk about how there's a lot of chaos going on in the world, and this podcast is not about that. This podcast is meant to uplift, inspire, and empower all the listeners, everyone tuning in. So the first question is a really light question, um, and that is... What do you love about your world right now? About my world right now, um, my own particular world, as opposed to the world in general. Uh, yes. I love. I mean, in a word, it's simplicity. Um, sometimes I say bliss is an acronym. Beautiful living is super simple, and I couldn't have a more simple life than what I'm experiencing right now. Um, we talked about it a little bit before we start recording, but. You know, I used to travel at least 100,000 miles a year. And um, I had just had a lot of stuff on the go. I mean, I still do, but um, I, if I go more than a kilometer from my house right now, it's a massive journey for me. <laughs> like I, I, and I love it that way. So I live, I, I mean, actually, just quick story is, um, you know, I'm from Canada, but uh, I didn't intend to be staying in Bali before the pandemic hit, but our flights all got canceled. And so now I'm riding out into the tropics until like still to this day, as I mentioned, the airport's not even open here. Um, and, uh, and we have our training coming up in November. So probably after that, we'll go back. But in the meantime, um, what I was saying about simplicity is that it's uh, in the tropics. It's always the same, like the sun never changes. So, you know, in Winnipeg where you're probably gets dark at 10 in the summer and four or five in the winter, it's just like always it gets dark at 6.30, the light comes up at six in the morning. It's just very simple. Um, we get our food delivered from local farmers and um, I do my practice. I go to the beach, do our surfing. I spend a lot of time helping with raising our child and um and it's just simple 
and good and um so yeah in a word my world right now is is simple beautiful living is super simple <laughs> mm-hmm. you are very blessed you are yeah. very blessed my friend um the next question is a question i ask all guests and i feel this is a good way to get to know someone um and then this is a question that transcends not only your work your personal life and everyone in between and that is your mission Companies all have missions, organizations all have missions, and that acts as their guiding light in all that they do. And we as individuals ought to be aware of ours. And our missing is always changing. But right here, right now, what is your current mission in this reality plane? Yeah, uh, my mission hasn't changed in a long time. In fact, actually, that's one of the first things we do in our Blissology trainings is we make people understand their why, their mission. We call it the life mission. And... Um, my life mission is to be a conduit for love. So I believe that love is a force in the universe like gravity or electromagnetism. And when we're in our highest power, that love doesn't come from us, it comes through us. And so we are a channel. And so um, when I'm at my highest self, when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm creating events and experiences where I can be a channel to let people open up to this thing called love more. Mm-hmm. So what are all the beautiful projects you're creating? Blissology is one. Um, let's get into them all. What does your winning look like for you today? Yeah, um, actually, it's funny because uh, I do have three litmus tests for when this is all going right. And again, it's back to simplicity. But um, one is that... I uh, read a lot of books. I second one is I write a lot of books. And the third is that I spend a lot of time looking out into the ocean, like what's called blue mind. <laughs> a blue uh, mind just like look at the waves and the sunset and the open horizon and uh, just, I mean, it's kind of the perfect, that's the third one, but that's, I mean, everything else is very stimulating, learning, but sometimes you just have to like empty your mind. And I do that best by the ocean. So I want to live and breathe and look out into the ocean a lot. Um, So on that note, just to go from the general to the specific, um, I'm working on a lot of books right now. Um, I'm just wrapping up a book on the Yoga Sutras. I wrote um, probably four manuals for our courses this year. uh, And I'm uh, I have an amazing, I like to call it alignment book, but basically uh, it's a book about how to people can empower themselves to not make yoga one size fits all, but to really make the poses fit them by understanding the physics of the pose. And um, so that one I hope to be done by the end of the summer. And um, then I've got a third book I'm working on as well. So. Um, yeah, that's, I did a lot of online courses. As you know, we did the Blissology On Demand. That's another project. And um, yeah, lastly, um, yeah, I, I just want to write as much as I possibly can. And of course, being around my family is a whole project that I love on its, its, on its own as well. Mm-hmm. And you've been at this for a long time. You've been practicing yoga and meditation for I believe 32 years now, since 1989, and been teaching for nearly two decades. So let's hit the rewind button and let's get back to your origin story. How did you get to the man you are today? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think 22 years of teaching now. Yeah, and um, I learned yoga and meditation uh, in the my first years of university. And um, sure, I mean, tied in with that. So that's, you know, if you're watching a movie, that's like the end scene. <laughs> and now we can describe the scene leading up to that. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Canada. I grew up around a lot of lakes and trees. I and basically I was around a lot of nature. And when I look back at my life, um, I mean, obviously, I think you might be influenced by Joseph Campbell, but he has this theory of an invisible hand. Yep. So that when, when you get to a certain age, you look back on your life and you don't really understand the flow of it. But then when, when you do look back, it's like there's been this hand pushing you the whole time, this invisible hand. And the thing that's really been in my mind as I've been been pushed by this hand, the driving force is really answering one big question, and that is what happens to our minds, to our bodies, to our hearts, when we are quiet and present in nature? So that's a big question for me that even when I was young, I was trying to figure out. Like at a very young age, I would sit, uh, I just told you like looking at the ocean, I would sit in the forest, Watching the sunsets, the clouds, you know, just lying on my back, looking up at the stars, and um, something beautiful would happen to my mind, my consciousness, my whole way of being. And I realized that I've been trying to answer that question. And so when I went to university, I studied philosophy and I studied even Eastern philosophy, trying to answer those questions. Um, and uh, look, just maybe extrapolating that a little bit more, I got into Joseph Campbell, who talked about this idea of a great spirit. Um, and, uh, you know, the First Nations idea of a great spirit. And then he said, you know, that the yogis, that was a mystical experience, the yogis had an actual methodology for stilling your mind so you'd actually feel this experience. I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I want I'm trying to put together. So that'll got me started on my study of yoga, which was actually originally through yoga philosophy. Then I got into meditation and then came asana. I feel like a lot of times it goes the opposite way around. Um, yes. Yeah, if we get into it, I can talk about how I took wrong turns or whatever. You know, there's definitely side stories to all of this, but on the straight trajectory, that's how I ended up where I am now. Just try to keep trying to answer that question about the connection. Like now our tagline in Blissology is yoga, community, nature. You know what? That all three of those things are really interconnected, and they open the door to our highest self. Mm -hmm. So you've kind of talked about hearing that inner calling, that that inner voice, um, and then we so often get that. So often in society, we have the, our our heart is calling us to do something more than what we are doing, and fear often holds people in their place from truly following their bliss. So let's yeah. talk about how you heard that calling and then how you chose to say yes on that path of should and must. You chose your must rather than listening all to the shoulds of society, your parents, uh, education, et cetera. You went for your must. So let's talk about what that process looked like. Sure. I mean, um, I think there's a value to, to listening to advice from elders, from people who've you know, had hard earned experiences, especially now having a younger child, somebody just wants to push back on all your advice. Uh, I mean, so there is a, there is good advice out there, but again, yeah, I think if I would have followed all the shoulds, I mean, I come from a family of lawyers. I might've been a lawyer right now and I don't know. Um, 
I'm just trying to imagine. I just haven't really thought about it too much, but what life would have been like had I followed that path. Um, and yeah, the shoulds are hard. Like I always tell people that the word should starts with sh, right? The first letters of should are sh. So you have to silence the shoulds. It's not that you don't take this advice in into mind. It's just that can't be the only place where you choose your decisions from. And um, again, I just knew I had a calling at a very young age. Like I really saw, I don't know if, I mean, now I would call it suffering, but I didn't call it suffering, just unhappiness in the world. I saw that, I started to see that because I had a deep connection to nature, that I had a pretty lighthearted like approach to life and I was in a certain state and I thought everyone kind of was there all the time it took me a while to realize that oh there's a lot of people that don't have this all the time um, and so I realized early I'm like okay this is my mission is to share my path for how I stay connected and you know that was my must in your language right and the should is you should just go out and make money and just be a lawyer be a lawyer right I mean, I think there is great way. Actually, by the way, I think <laughs> being a lawyer is a very noble cause if we do it for exactly the reasons why law was invented. If uh -huh. you do it just out of greed, then it becomes um, brutal. But anyway, without going down that path, um, for how your question I think was how did I actually silence those musts? And um, yeah, okay, I guess there's a part of me that. Uh, there's a, there a time in my life where I didn't. Let's examine that. Yeah, so um, graduated from university. Uh, actually, before I even graduated from university, my goal was to become a philosophy professor. Yeah. I want to teach the philosophy of love. And um, here comes my son in here. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and uh, this is Derek. He's in Winnipeg. Anyway. Um, nice to meet to you. Yeah, he, I wanted to teach the philosophy of love, and uh, that's what I wanted to do. And I was on that path, and I fell in love with somebody, a girl named Heidi, and she lived in Japan teaching English over there. Um, I, after university, moved to Maui, Hawaii, where I could live by the ocean, and um, that's actually where I got into really Ashtanga yoga. Um, and I went to Japan. I used to do a lot of karate and one of the guys I was training with in my dojo, his dad was a developer. So in Japan, the um, basically real estate and construction companies are one company. So they built um, houses in Japan and they were using Canadian building materials. So he said to me one day in the karate dojo, look, I don't speak English, but I, I actually learned to speak Japanese over there. So he said to me in Japanese, like, I don't speak English, but if you can do something for me, our company gets building materials from Canada. And here's all the packages that we get. You know, they build these subdivisions with building material from Canada. And I was like, hmm. He said, if you can save us 10%, if you can negotiate with these companies and save us 10%, we will give you five. If you can save us 5% in these, packages will give you two I said that sounds interesting so at that point I had dreadlocks <laughs> I was 
going to go back to Hawaii where I was eating mangoes and doing yoga and in the ocean every day. I'd been saving money working in Japan as a bartender and um, I'm like, you know what? This is a really good chance where I can actually go back to Toronto, um, talk to my friends who are builders and this is what I did. And then I went to, you know, Holt Renfro and these companies. I bought ties and jackets and I cut off my dreadlocks and shaved my head, like short hair. And um, and I flew back to Japan. And like I say, all the money I was going to use to go back for a year in Hawaii. <laughs> and I bought a ticket back to Japan, Osaka. And I sat down in this boardroom in Osaka, Japan, in Japanese, gave a presentation and said, look, you, this is what these house packages are costing you, but I can actually provide the whole packages for you, the sinks, the doors, the siding, the windows, everything, and send the crews over from Toronto to build the houses. And I got the contract. So like literally overnight, I was this surfing, windsurfing, yoga, karate guy, <laughs> philosophy of love guy. And I became a businessman literally overnight. And so I learned what it was like to not be in accord with what your should is and to live mm -hmm. according to your must. I'm just using your language to describe it. And um, it was the way I can describe it, the way I usually describe it to people. It was like one of those video games, you know, like Mortal Kombat. And I'm dating myself there, but uh, <laughs> uh, where you get punched and punched and punched and your power goes down and down and down. And then you pick up some golden apple or something and then your power goes back up. Well, I was constantly going through that where I'm like, oh, I can't do this job anymore. Like, this is so stressful. And I'm not even seeing my friends or my neighbors. I'm just working all the time. And then I get paid well by these real estate companies in Japan. And I'm like, oh, I can keep doing this. I'd get my power bar filled back up and then I'd go back in for more. Yeah. And that went for a couple of years. And it was, I really learned what it was like to be on a path where the money's coming, you know, it really makes you question what is success. You know, I was eating in amazing restaurants in Toronto and had lots of dates and, uh, you know, I don't know, it just, <laughs> I, I was living the life of probably what every 20 something year old wanted to live. You know, I was a successful businessman and I had a lot of respect from my dad and my parents and, um, but I was not fulfilled on the inside. You know? Yeah. You you weren't heeding your call to adventure that your heart was longing for, it sounds like. Okay. Yeah, you're going to go with mechanical? Okay, how? Um, like this. Oh, like this? Okay. Can I take Yeah, pictures? yeah, go. Go, go, go. Are you going to do parkour? Yeah. And also, and all the stuff on the trampoline. Okay, I'll come see you after. <laughs> okay. I guess, I guess the tennis finished a little early. I thought I was done at 10. So, you were distracted from your call to adventure and it seems like you're experiencing a refusal of the call yeah what what happened next how did you um, yeah the deal is that you know what there was uh this it's kind of a lot of factors but i think the main factor kind of the straw that broke the camel's back i tell the story a lot but it's uh i i i moved to vancouver um and I lived in an apartment in Vancouver. My neighbor lived across the hall from me, but I was very busy. I was a busy, busy, successful person. Yeah. And I 
never got to know this guy across the hall, but I always had in my mind that this guy looks like a really cool guy. I should actually have dinner with him sometime or, you know, go for a glass of wine, whatever, with him. And uh, I never did. Okay. And one day, there was a U-Haul van that came, and I saw it outside, and it was moving all the furniture out of his apartment. And I realized, oh my God, I lived in this place for a whole year. I don't even know this guy's name. I didn't even know his name. <laughs> you know what I mean? My neighbor yeah. in an apartment. And I realized, oh my God, an apartment is actually, when you look at the root of the word, like it's not exactly where it came from, but there is an argument to be made that it's a compartment that keeps us apart. It's not actually a connectment. And I'm like, this is actually normal for us to live a life where you actually don't know your neighbor and you don't know where your food's coming from and you don't know what your highest purpose is. We're disconnected from our bodies. We're disconnected from each other. We're disconnected from nature. I'm, I'm like climbing this ladder, but it's on the wrong wall. Yeah. And I actually just went, I got to stop this. Like it was a thing that actually broke the camel's back. I don't know if you remember, we used to have fax machines. I faxed all my clients in, um, in Osaka, Japan. I said, that's it. Sayonara. Thank you for all your business over the last few years. Um, I actually literally gave all my business to another friend of mine and I moved back to Hawaii. And from that day forward, I said, I'm never, ever, ever going to do anything that's not in line with my deepest calling. Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's, there's a little bit more to it that happened after that, but yeah, that's, that's how I ended up back in Hawaii. I mean, from Hawaii back to Vancouver is another story. But, yeah. That was the crossing of the threshold and that yeah. neighbor almost acted kind of as a faux mentor. He showed, he kind of gave you that lesson without even talking with you. And that's a pretty powerful experience. So you crossed the threshold, you returned back to Hawaii. Was there any fear leaving all that success, all that fun, um that security um, yeah i mean it's actually funny because now i mean to really tell the story i have to drift into um you know the kind of masculine world yes let's bit. do that where where i'm going here is that you know my dad was an awesome person he's not around anymore i think we would have had a really good relationship had i had this level of maturity i have now uh, an understanding of life. Uh, but when I was younger and I wanted to do the philosophy of love and all this other stuff, he was just like, you know, he, he was, um, you know, quietly out, outwardly supportive, but inside I can tell there just was a jarringness. And I basically the long and short of it, I think a lot of guys go through this is that what I realized is that with my dad and um, what I think a lot of men go through is the topics we have is this big, <laughs> like we have this box and basically inside the box, there's two topics, sports and business. <laughs> and as long as I stayed in that box, I could have an amazing relationship with my dad and his friends. And, but there just wasn't a lot of other places we could go conversationally. And so what I really felt more than I told you, I've made a fair bit of money back in the uh, mid nineties. Um, when I was doing this business in Japan, but more than the money, what I actually got paid in the currency I was really trading in when I look back on my life is actually respect. And I could sit down with my dad and his business friends and 
tell them what I did and they would go, pull up a chair, have a glass of wine, tell us more about it. And they, you know, if I told them I wanted to teach philosophy of love at university, they'd be like, okay, whatever. And they barely acknowledge me. Um, and so that's, I think, what I really had to overcome more than fear. It's just it's this addiction to approval. And when I say approval, I mean specifically in a man's world of business, success, you know, that I did feel um, that my whole life, I was, if there was anything I was kind of butting up against, it was that. And that period I described where I was doing business in Japan, it was like two and a half, three year period, was um, then I wasn't butting it against it. I was like doing what I was supposed to be doing. And it was kind of in flow with that. And yeah, so that's that's really what I had to break is that addiction to, as I mentioned, the words I think I used was addiction to approval, addiction yeah. to um, feeling like I was a successful man in a man's world and um, I, I was never going to have that ever again to sit down and make with the people. And How did you find the courage to break that addiction? Uh, the strength? Just- yeah, it's just basically a balancing act. You know, there's a part of you, I, and this goes, you know, with anything in life, you know, if you do something that doesn't work with your morality or whatever, there's always a part of you that doesn't feel good. Your internal compass, your bodily feedback, now I have the tools to say it, it's just, it's it's like vibrating like this. It's not in flow, it's not, and so there's that side of me, you know, here vibrating like this. And then there's what do I want to do that's just light and and basically that's when I was doing the wrong thing in Japan, then I was constantly ignoring, you know, this other side. And there just comes a part where you can't there comes a point where you just cannot ignore it anymore. You just can't. It's like um, you know, you shove a balloon, like a balloon will float great in air, but once you sink it down in the water, it just wants to come back up again. And yeah. It just, I couldn't stuff it down anymore. It just, I couldn't live with myself. And I think the main thing probably when I think about it that helped me is just realizing how quickly the years pass. And, you know, if I would have stayed in that path for another 20 years, where would I be? And what if I get hit by a bus? <laughs> you know, what, yeah. what's, the, what's the legacy I'm living, leaving to the world? A bunch of homes in a subdivision in Osaka? That's, that's what I was put on the planet to do. Um, so you know. what, ad- what advice would you have for someone that's listening right now and they're feeling a calling in their heart that is telling them they want to go to Bali and take a blissology training with you or that they're at their job, they're at their corporate job wearing suits every day, but they really want to be teaching yoga. What yeah. advice would you have for those heroes? What's well, interesting Cause I'll be honest with you, like, okay. You, you know, Joseph, you know, Joseph Campbell, obviously, yeah. right? Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, in case people don't, I'm assuming if they've heard your other episodes and you probably referenced it, but yeah. see for me, when I talk about this, I, I basically, what I, what I thought was going to happen, you know, okay. I got this calling in the world. If I could sing at all, I would play music and be a conduit for love that way. But I don't. In fact, actually, when I was in Japan, you'd have to do karaoke with all those business guys. 
and I learned an expression called misogaku sairu, which means your voice is so bad it makes soybeans ferment into miso. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I can't sing at all. And um, but I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow my bliss and teach yoga now. And so Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss and doors will open where once there were walls. So I'm like, all right, I'm ready. You know, I showed up in Vancouver, you know, fast forward a few years after that um, in late 1999 and said, I'm ready. I'm going to teach yoga now. And um, it just didn't happen. <laughs> like I went to a room to teach yoga and I was renting it. And I was deeply in credit card debt by the time I came back from Hawaii. And it cost me $50 a night back then to rent the room and nobody showed up. And when I say nobody, I don't mean like three or four people. I mean like nobody. So three nights a week, I would show up getting each time I'd showed up, I was getting $50 deeper and deeper and deeper in credit card debt for two months. And I would, I would literally, walk in this empty room and go, man, when are the doors going to open where once there were walls and like tears would come to my eyes and I'm just like, okay, just, I know you're just a little bit ahead of the curve. And one day Vancouver is going to be perfect for yoga. It's just most people are into jogging and all this stuff now and they just don't know it yet. It's actually funny to look at the yoga city Vancouver is now, but, yeah. um, but the key point is, is that I, I had to go through that. And so where I'm going is that what I learned is that follow your bliss, the universe will initiate you and make you really ask yourself, is this truly your bliss? And if you can go through that process and stick with it, then doors will open where once there were walls. And so the first thing I would tell people is, are you really willing to go through something really hard? Because look, not even teaching yoga. What I, what I tell people is that making money is easy. Like I learned how to make money, but to make money consciously is much harder. If you don't have any morals, it's actually really easy to make money, <laughs> but to do it consciously, is very, very hard. So are you willing to fight that hard fight and to like all the time I still face it. Um, you know, you just mentioned the Blissology on Demand or like the online courses we do in Teachable. Yeah. Like, you know, there were times where I honestly, I thought I was going to die. Like I thought I was going to die because like when COVID first hit, um, I was I I I I wasn't ready to do the online thing. I wanted to do online courses. Don't get me wrong, but I had uh, one camera. Actually, it's right there. It has panorama. So think about your phone when you have in panorama mode. It has a panorama lens. So you have to be exactly like eight feet from something. If not, then everything's blurry. That's the only lens I had. I had a microphone that went. And then Bali was in lockdown, so it meant you couldn't go on the beaches. So I would run out to the beach with this camera 
and film something. And I knew that there was patrols eight minutes away. It would take them eight minutes to walk there. So I knew I could probably film for 10 minutes and then they would notice me and start walking. And so I'd film for like 15 minutes, these little chunks, and then have to go running away from the police. Wow. Me, you know, and then, and then I have these courses that I had to get done by a certain time. And, and then like the cord would jiggle and it would go, or the camera was out of focus and the content was unusable, but we were supposed to launch this thing by tomorrow in another episode the day before that. I'm like, I can't get it done. I don't even have a crew and I'm like not even sleeping. And, and I, I was like worried, honestly, at one point, I'm like, I think I might die. Like this is actually pushing it so hard. <laughs> and again, when I look back at what got me through the pandemic, it was these courses. It was like you doing your podcast. It was having this connection, real authentic connection at a time where we couldn't see people physically. And I would wake up and literally be a hundred comments and 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 zoom calls and these connections with people and i'm like oh my god this is keeping me sane but man it's a sacrifice so just to bring all that to a close i would say to the person who's thinking about leaving their corporate job like are you really ready to sacrifice and before you do just look at your life and go are you really is there another way you can do this because let's say even you know just explore the topic before let's say i did become a lawyer there's lots of ways I could serve my highest purpose um, as a lawyer. You know, there's lots of ways I could have done that. Um, you know, there's all kinds of people. Um, you don't have to look far away. I mean, without getting into, um, you know, equal, the equal rights conversation too deeply, um, that I could have served the world as a lawyer. You know what I mean? So I think that's the first place just to, I know I just went, but just to really answer your question, narrow it down is like to go, is there a way you can serve the world right now without having to change your path? Mm -hmm. You know, just explore that first before you jump ship and, and become a yoga teacher in Bali. Um, and, and to really just keep that on the table before you decide. And if the, if your answer is no, or that's really not how I want to do it. Like I, you know, maybe it's like, well, actually want to impact larger groups of people or whatever then then like let's let's do it but um i would say that exactly what i told you is look like i i i'm 52 now and i cannot believe where life went i'm just like where how did how, i feel like i'm 25 i'm like what like where did this last 25 years 27 years go and you know I mean, if, it, if the next 25 years goes just as quickly, I'm going to be 77, you know, like I might not even be here. So our question is, with life passing so quickly, before you know it, you will be on your deathbed. And have you, this is the thing, have you left your contribution to the world? Have you contributed to the flow of the world in the way you should have? And that's a question we've all really got to answer. Um, or, or is it just, is the whole purpose of life just make a ton of money, buy a nice car, have great stocks, and retire on a golf course in Florida? I don't know. Like, you know, you have to really look at that and go, if I'm 80 and just golfing every day and that's all I'm doing, you know, uh -huh. is that... 
And I think the beauty of this is we get to figure this out. This is an opportunity that we have been graced with, that we get to figure out this question, but what this is yeah. all about. And, exactly. and it's really beautiful that when we, when we look back upon things, when you look about all the tests you've had to overcome, they're all happening for you. Yes, totally. <laughs> they really are. And they're frustrating. And, uh, but you know, resilience is important. And, um, that's how you make a diamond. Just stick it under pressure. <laughs> Resilience and mindset, right? Because they could have all been happening for you or they could have been happening to you. And you chose that they happened for you. And that's where, then in my eyes, that's why you are where you are today is you chose that path and they're happening for me rather than these are happening to me. Woe is me. Woe is the world. Um, and that is yeah. a choice that we all have. Yeah, and, and we ha it's not only a choice we have, but a choice we have to make because I can't think of a day where I haven't consciously made that choice. Like, like I, I, said, I, think, I think I speak for a lot of conscious entrepreneurs. Like I, could, I, I know there's a lot of people who've had their stu studios closed for years. I've seen how many, I, every time I pick up Instagram, I'm like, oh, my studio's closed. I'm like, I, I feel so sorry for these people. Like there's, it has not been, you know, there's not any of us conscious entrepreneurs, I'm trying to widen the scope beyond um, just even teaching yoga, that aren't faced with this list of things that aren't going right every day. And you just have to really look at that and go, yeah, like you said, how you choose to, to perceive that. And look, you don't get stronger <laughs> by not, like resistance is good. <laughs> Absolutely. And it begins with awareness. And you, thank you for raising awareness to this because until that awareness is arisen, we, we can't choose because we are, we don't know we're, we're blind and yeah. people like you are raising awareness in others. Um, but others have raised this awareness within you. So let's take a moment to acknowledge some of the helpers and mentors that helped you on your path along the way. Who were they? Um, and what were their main lessons that you learned from them that you've incorporated into your being? Yeah. I mean, I mentioned Joseph Campbell already, um, yeah. but I think that, I mean, he's the guy who really launched me on my path. I mean, his bumper sticker is follow your bliss. So even blissology is a nod to follow your bliss, like of Joseph Campbell. Um, so obviously he's, you know, up there. Um, God, there's so many all the time now. Um, I think what really helped me as a skill indirectly is um, my work in, I used to, I studied for a long time body-mind psychotherapy and body-mind centering with Bonnie Baybridge Cohen, but I had a teacher of uh, body-mind psychotherapy about really helping me to learn how to read the feedback of my body. Um, her name's Susan Apotion, she's in Boulder, Colorado. So, um, learning how to interpret the signals is how we learn our internal compass, uh, our signals of our body. So I learned that from her a lot. Um, uh, you know, when I really, really, truly think about it, I really learn a lot from nature. Like, um, that 
you just watch anything grow and what they have to overcome to grow. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. Like we've all talked about how amazing it is that at one point or another, everyone's looked at the grass that grows through cement, you know, like you cannot pave the heart. And so I think nature is almost my biggest teacher. I really, and, and especially the ocean, I'd look at what, how it works and it helps to guide me. And, and mm -hmm. I, I think there's a fundamental law there. And actually that's another big thing for me is one of the legacies I want to leave as well is that as the world becomes more paved, more digital, that we can live more in touch with the wisdom of nature. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I feel nature is always in balance. We've talked about balance a bit earlier, but what have you learned about balance on your journey and the importance of it? Mm. Um, yeah, okay, balance is important uh, because, well, what, what we get by being in balance is efficiency. <laughs> like we basically, if, if the wheels on your car aren't balanced, you're not gonna get very good gas mileage. It's not very efficient, right? So when we're out of balance, when I say efficiency, whatever we try and do takes more effort. And when we're in balance, what we do is more effortless. And so when I say efficiency, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about efficiency as in terms, I, my definition of efficiency is, uh, it has to do with um, effort and result. And when we're efficient, we get the most result with the least amount of effort. So when I'm, and that comes from balance. So whatever you're trying to achieve in life, if you can stay in balance, then you'll get it more. Okay, great. That makes you think about, that's all fine and good. Okay, I get the why I wanna be in balance, but now how, yeah. and how to be in balance is, again, I, I think I mentioned it already with Susan, but is to really learn how to interpret your bodily feedback. And, you know, it's kind of two ways of approaching yoga. One is, you know, to dominate your body, to bend it into submission, to just, I just want that Instagram pose and you grab your foot and even though on the inside, you're like, oh, take the freaking picture, <laughs> you know, uh, um, on the outside, you look like beautiful. You know, there's only so long we can do that for before you get injured or frustrated. And so in a way, a healthy yoga practice is teaching us all the time of learning to make these poses from the inside out. So when I'm saying that yoga helps me to learn balance because I have to work with my bodily feedback um, in order to be efficient at these poses. And when I can learn how to be efficient with my bodily feedback on the mat, then when I bring it out into life, whether it's creating a project or whatever, you know, I, I, I wrestle with it all the time of like, I could stay up two more hours and get this done. But then what would be my payoff tomorrow? You know, I could just down another cup of coffee and stay up till two in the morning and do this. But then what's the, how's that going to imbalance me? And um, so I'm kind of learning how to play this game in life as well. You know, And mm -hmm. there's definitely times, like I mentioned, where I had to become imbalanced, but uh, you know, sometimes you got to do that to learn what it's like to not be balanced as well.
beautifully said. Another area yeah. you another area you mentioned that there's some great imbalance is the world of the masculine. The masculine is much of the much of the males in society are stuck in that masculine box of business, sports, period. What have you learned about balancing the one's masculine and feminine in today's world? And how have you done that yourself? Well, one of the things I stopped one of the things I stopped doing a long time ago that I encourage people to stop doing is actually even using the term masculine and feminine. Um, it's basically the way I see the world is either you're kind or you're selfish. <laughs> you know? And I think that as men, when as a man growing up, what I was actually unconsciously taught by my culture is that you have a right to be selfish and don't worry so much about other people's needs. And I feel like if there's you know, when, when we talk about toxic masculinity, it's that gone out of control. Don't worry about other people, just take care of you. And, um, you know, that's the extreme end of the spectrum. But, uh, but once you can free yourself of masculine and feminine, you know, a question I ask people all the time is like, I walk to the beach and hold my son's hand. I see other dads holding their son's hand. Um, you know, I'd like, I would like for people in those moments to go, actually, I'm being more of a, I'm actually just being more kind and kindness is outside of the box of male and female. You know, it doesn't matter whether you have a Y chromosome or not, we should just be kind. And um, a dad who hugs their child, it's not necessarily that they're in touch with their feminine side. Okay, like you can break your model down like that, fine. But the problem is if we do that, what happens is by putting that label on people, what I've learned is that unconsciously you're sticking millions of men deeper into that box because they're not willing. It makes it harder for them to step out. If you're like, no, you just need to be more kind, regardless of whether that's feminine or any other quality, you know, that's, that's where we need to start to, I think, bring the conversation. Um, just you know when people when men are told that oh if you do yoga you'll be more in touch with their feminine side like I've broken that code I know what that means you've broken the code you know what that means but there's a lot of men who haven't broken the code and they're just like yeah they, it, it keeps them away from the practice and um, and I think that's a shame mm -hmm. so, so that's, how that's a big thing for me. It's just be careful of the label we stick on to people. And again, I don't mean to disrespect people who do see the world like that. I just want you to at least consider, when I say like that, I mean masculine and feminine. I just want you to consider what the, if you're hardening men into their boxes, men box, or allowing them more freedom by sticking the label of masculine and feminine on things. Mm -hmm. So how can we nurture one's kindness? Um, well, I don't know if it's the best way, but my way, like, I mean, our way, let's, I'm assuming most people here are yogis listening to this. Um, let's just, like, I, I would just love to kind of transfer that into just on the mat. Like we, we, everything we practice on the mat is meant to be brought into life. It doesn't end on the mat as we know. So look, if you're not kind to yourself on your mat, you're, you're not going to, um, you're gonna get injured it's that simple or you're gonna or your practice will be so miserable you won't keep doing it um and 
So, you know, that's the greatest gift of yoga, really, in a way, is that we're always playing the edge. You're all, you got it. See, the other side of it is, if you're only kind to yourself on your mat, you know, a lot of times you're like, oh, what do I feel like doing today? Okay, I just feel like child's pose. And if you're just sitting on the couch all the time and never putting yourself on the edge, then you're not growing either. So you gotta find, it's like parenting, you gotta find discipline and tapas, and you need to find kindness. So it's always a balance as we were talking about balance. You can't just find kindness. You need to find the discipline on the other side of the kindness as well. Um, but yoga teaches us that balance. And so when I'm in a pose, I'm like, do I want to come out of it now? You know, we, 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 everyone's been there. Pose begins when you want to come out. Okay. Um, actually, if I stay longer, is that actually going to make me grow? Is it going to make me feel better tomorrow? Or am, I, or am I just damaging myself? I don't know. You have to really start to pay attention to what's happening. So you're paying attention to bodily feedback on the yoga mat through the lens of kindness and discipline. And um, this is where we learn it. And I see that all the time now, you know, parenting. What I'm really noticing is that and I learned that I learned I learned this from my wife. I, I didn't know this automatically, but um, I see that too many parents are I don't know if it's overly kind, but they're too wishy-washy. They're too go with the flow. Like I have a big deal now that the environment that we're raising our child in, um, like it, the kids can have as much candy as they want, and it's just normal. And so, I tell my kid not to eat that much candy out of kindness. But I need to have the discipline to stand up to him and say, no, you, and try to teach him, no, you can't do it. But most parents don't have that discipline. Most parents I'm seeing in, in my world here, okay, I don't mean to talk to the billions of parents on the planet. Um, but most of the parents in my circle are just like, watch the iPad as much as you want, eat as much candy as you want. And, and, and that's, in the yogic point of view, that's just like, just do whatever pose you want. Okay, I just want to lie in Shavasana the whole time. I'm like, okay, well that's, you know, some days you may have to do that, but you're not actually going to, you, you need to have that inner disciplinarian as well. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've seen, but like, yeah, that's, I'll leave that for kindness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So through it all, through all the highs and lows that is life, what would you say has been your greatest life lesson that you've learned on that path that you feel called to share with us today? Oh, the greatest lesson is, um, well, I'd probably bring it back to the original one I talked about, about nature, um, that something will happen to you when you get quiet and present in nature. Um, so to make that time all the time, like, it was dark. It was dark for me. I'm sure it was dark for a lot of us in the height of the pandemic, you know, a year and a bit ago when it was very first hitting. I mean, I, I wasn't sure, you know, not only was it financial, I wasn't sure if I was going to be alive in two weeks. Like it was really anxiety provoking. And, you know, it's, it's as dark as life ever got for me or, you know, maybe other times or when a parent dies or something or a close relative or friend dies. 
those were dark nights and in the darkest of times it's only this connection to nature that gets me through it's if i don't make the time to sit under a tree or look out into a forest then i'm uh, or an ocean horizon i'm lost i'm totally lost and uh, my fear is again i've already mentioned it once uh about 20 minutes ago but as the world becomes more paved and digital and we live in these big cities that are urban and we have less connection to nature. I just worry. I mean, if you just have to put VR goggles on and go to the forest, I don't know. I just, I think about where we're going and I'm worried about the generation coming a hundred years from now, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so I'm trying to like address what I'm sharing to, to people coming then as well as now. So that's it. I mean, to bring that all to a summary, you know, is that, Nature is the greatest spiritual portal. When we are in nature, we are more connected to kindness, to love, to interconnection. So in summary, the way I describe this is one of the principal kind of mantras of blissology is that love is the ultimate renewable resource. Mm -hmm. I love that. And how are you? In nature and you will open up to this amazing force called love and it will always refill you. How are you helping your students see this importance of nature? So at the Blissology trainings or in all your, your yoga teachings and everywhere in between, how are you helping people see this great importance of nature and understand it? Um, we bring it in all the time. I mean, there's so many ways to bring nature into your practice. I mean, we have a little called nature appreciation mandala. We put flowers and every, actually we get everybody in every Blissology class not even the trainings, but everyone to bring one beautiful thing from nature. So we said it's yoga nature community. And then everyone brings one little piece of nature and puts it in the mandala. And so we recognize when we make this art together, that the sum is much greater than the parts that if all of us see something beautiful in nature and bring it together, then, then something beautiful happens. I mean, that's just one example, but I think it's this constant awareness that we are nature that like a lot of people think, and I might've misled people when I said you need to go out into the forest and the mountaintops and the look at the open oceans. I mean, but just to really realize that even if you're on, you know, the 30th story of some apartment right now in Hong Kong listening to this, you're still part of nature, that glass, the sand, um, the, the air comes from the trees. Like it's, and to really, just feel that integral part of nature. It's in every breath. And it's it's actually, when you go deep into this, the science of it, heart-based science of it, it's incredible. I mean, the oxygen comes from trees that is the exact opposite reaction of the photosynthesis, the exact opposite of cellular respiration that we just happen to have six molecules of carbon as a byproduct carbon dioxide, which is, a, and they just happen to give off six molecules of oxygen as a byproduct of the exact same glucose. <laughs> it's like mind blowing. And then it gets transferred in by hemoglobin around your body. And that, that, you know, is iron. And that iron happens because universes, because supernovas expanded several times. And that iron is now inside of me. I don't know, for me, it's like, that's my antidepressant, you know? So it's, oh, yeah. it's like this idea of like, where do we end and where does nature begin? So yeah, another thing I say a lot is the more I blur the line between where I end and nature begins, the happier I am. 
And so just to bring these little, you know, you're not just breathing. <laughs> it's a miracle. Like every freaking breath is a miracle. And just to see your practice from this angle. Absolutely. So to close every episode, I ask every guest a final two questions. And we're at that point now. And I'm going to come at you with my final two questions. The first one, in three words, how will you describe the experience you were having on this earth? Mm, okay. Um, savage, bliss, uh, inspiration. Savage, bliss, inspiration. Right on. Yeah. And the next question. Can you need to explain it or is it just the word? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yo, you can explain that. I'd love to hear the explanation. Yeah. Savage. Yeah. Bliss, inspiration. Well, I'll just leave it at that. People can figure it out. We'll, we'll talk about it. Maybe it won't be the last time. I <laughs> Next time we talk, we'll leave that our, like, segue in. For sure. For sure. That can be our segue. That sounds great. And so I believe we all, from deep within, we are all magicians. We have the ability to transport, wor- transform worlds and times. And we transformed times. We went into the past. We explored your origin story. And now I'm going to hit the fast forward and we're going to jump into the future just momentarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to be alongside an 85-year-old Ian Finn. And I want you to picture what this 85-year-old looks like. Where are you? Who are you surrounded by? What is the impact that you have left on others in your time here on this planet? Um, 85, huh? All right. So um, I definitely want to be surrounded. I think I mentioned the three litmus tests of like writing, reading, like reading a lot, writing a lot and looking out into the ocean. I hope I live somewhere where I can just sit in my wheelchair or whatever I am that time. Just like look at, hopefully not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I hope I'm still friggin' doing one arm handstands when I'm 85. Anyway, um, looking out to the ocean, being at peace. But um, I think about the legacy, obviously, it's family, friends. Um, and I really think that, um, yeah, I mean, one thing I would like is a whole bunch of books that I've left for the world. I love the written word. Um, and you know, one of my goals in life is more than anything to be known as an author. Um, and, uh, I, I just love the process of laboring over words and the art of finding the exact word that expresses things. Um, and I think that, you know, I look at the books that have impacted me and it's such a beautiful thing to leave for people. Aside for that, actually, even right now, when I look at what my legacy is, it's really this whole collection of teachers, what we call the bliss army. Um, like these people are family. They're my friends. Um, we've all connected because we all want to be conduits for love. We all want to find ways of bringing more kindness fearlessly out into the world. And so um, the, the connections I have with those people now mean everything. And I hope they're just as strong when I'm 85 and I can see their grandkids. <laughs> Uh, and, and I can see little ripple effects of what we talked about in um, coming out in their teachings and their family life. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So I just want you to stay with this 85-year-old just for a moment longer. I want you to really feel what he feels like doing that one-arm handstand out in nature, um, not in a wheelchair, because you've balanced, you've balanced that 
of line of um, violence and nonviolence of the self, master of yeah. ahimsa. And yeah. I'm going to bring us back to the now. I'm going to bring us back to the present moment. And that 85-year-old uh, Ian whispers something in your ear. What does he tell you? Um, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Um, because, I mean, this talks, this completely goes back to where we started before. Like, it's, this is not an easy path. It's not an easy path. And, um, uh, you know, I face challenges every day. And I just know that, I know that, um, that there will be fruits that that 85 year old enjoys if I can stay on this path that the world has to enjoy if I stay on this path, you know? So, um, yeah, don't, 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 um, that's challenges, man. It, 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 it's a big part of it. And I mean, I'm trying to just bring it to everyone. Just, I, I feel for you right now and the challenges that you're facing, who is ever listening to this, I know we all do. And I guess that 85, as much as he's whispering in your world is like, don't give up and telling you guys right now to not give up either. <laughs> what a beautiful way to end this conversation. It's been an honor. It's been a yeah. blessing. And I hope this is the first of many. And I would like you to quote. Great. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'd like you just to close with just where can people find you? They're wanting to learn more, take classes with you, take trainings with you. Where is the best place to connect and find you and what Um, you have going on? Yeah, our website's blissology.com. And most of the like tentacles go out from there. Um, Yeah. Yeah, everything's blissology, all our... Uh, whatever social media uh, YouTube is actually Blissology Yoga but everything else is just everything Blissology Instagram whatever even TikTok yeah. <laughs> which I barely use but anyway yeah it's all there Blissology yeah. perfect and your personal personal handle is the Blissologist where you can see yeah. all the wonderful things you're doing with your son and with your wife and um, following your bliss and you my friend are doing that uh, exemplifying that awesome. principle Joseph Campbell has talked about so long ago. You're doing yeah. it. This is it. To close the conversation, we bring our fist into the winner circle. Boom. Boom. A, a choice. Aloha. A choice that we could all make. Aloha. Thank you so much. Right on. Yeah, it's been it's been the year of nucks. Huh? I never gave so many nucks out after after this Boom. last year. <laughs> good, man. I love it. Beautiful, brotherly, sanitary. Love it, Derek. Aloha, bro. Aloha. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Peace, everyone.